I'm still not used to getting up to preach with Mission Impossible music playing, but here we are. We're talking about mission today, and it's not an impossible mission. And, and it's exciting for me to be here today and to share with you some of the things that God has been laying on the leadership's heart. Um, when I think about the excitement um, that I've been experiencing this, this last week, it's just been reflecting back on what's been going on here this last month. I think back to the four Easter services, that, including the Good Friday, where this room was just full of people hearing about God's love for us in Christ. Uh, Jesus, who died on the cross and was raised from the dead for us. I, I'm excited to just think about the uh, community outreach last weekend, and we were going around the community and just being Christ's hands and feet here, helping and showing his love. I, I think about this place was like on Wednesday night. If you weren't here it was just brimming full of kids and their parents for the Iwana Awards Night. And a lot of those families, not part of our church, but their kids are part of Iwana. And these kids are getting recognized for their achievements and for memorizing God's Word. Eight of them who'd memorized over 400 verses in getting that Timothy Award. That's exciting to me. I think about the high school students that right after this service are going to continue preparing and training for their trip that's coming up this summer as they go down to partner with Los Olivos, our sister church down in Guatemala. I, I think of the, uh, the activity center that was full a couple of weeks ago with people that are new to this place since the fall. People who just recently joined the church are going through that process. I, I, I think of the hundreds that week in and week out are studying God's word here. There's women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies and singles are getting together and couples are getting together and there's small groups meeting all over greater Madison area studying God's word trying to figure out what it says and what it means in our lives that we might live it out in our lives and when I think about the excitement I think about last Tuesday night's board meeting the stewards let me tell you there was some shouting going on and there was some hooping and hollering and there was some high-fiving going on because we just come to a place where God did some great things as we've been wrestling with these defining questions and trying to figure out what is it that we're to be about. And, and a lot of things kind of came together on Tuesday night. So my excitement then is met with a great sense of gratitude and thankfulness. I think about our 40-plus year history as a church and how our God has been so faithful to us as a people of God to provide us with Christ-like leaders, faithful leaders, energetic leaders, leaders with vision, leaders with courage. I'm so grateful for that. I'm so thankful for the leadership of Brad Smith in this place. It's often said that you know the metal and you know the greatness of a leader to see what happens in an organization that they've led, to see what happens after they leave. And though none of us can understand completely or at all, What God was up to in taking Brad home young. Here's what I know for sure. Brad left a healthy church. Brad left a congenial staff that loves each other, has a lot of fun, and works hard for the right things. And and Brad left a church that didn't die but grew. And, And that is something I am so grateful for. Along with Brad's leadership, I think of the leaders here today in our church Many of them who just spent a lot of time wrestling together as leaders trying to figure out the uh, mission of this place in our future. I think of the stewards that spent a lot of time. I, I think of the staff, and in particular, 
there was a sub-team from the stewardship board of Linda Rukti and Debbie Marks and Matt Desmond, and they just spent hours and hours of time trying to collate and synthesize and figure it out as we were pushing this ball forward to today. And so what we're going to be doing in this next month is taking a break, a break from the book of Ephesians. We'll get back into it in June. But we're going to spend this month now doing a series, what we're calling Defining Questions. And these questions that we're defining are are questions like this. Today, what are we about? That's the mission question. What are we supposed to be doing here? And what are we committed to? That's the values question. Those are the things we're going to talk about today. Then next week, that's really going to be an exciting one to say, where are we going? What are the dreams that God is laying on the hearts of his people in this place? Where are we going? What does it look like out in the future? And then weeks three and four, how are we going to get there? It's going to be talking about service and stewarding all that God has given us, our time and our talents, our gifts and our treasure for his purposes in this place and from this place. Now, here's what I know about defining questions and answering these questions. If we don't answer these questions, somebody else will. We'll drift down the tides of culture. We'll ping back ping-pong back and forth between the latest trends and fads, or we'll go from one squeaky wheel to the other in complete reaction mode. We're not going to do that. It's not been the stuff of this church in the past, and it's not going to be the stuff of this church and its leadership in the future. What I want you to do is I want you to take a look at some mission statements. I want you to try and guess whose mission statement this is. To provide relief to victims of disasters and help people prevent, prepare for, and respond to emergencies. Who do you think that is? Man, you guys are good. That's right. Survey says Red Cross. All right, here's one. To heal, to teach, to serve. Meritor. Good. You've you've been listening to the ads. Meritor Hospital right here in Madison. How about this? To make people happy. Not quite McDonald's. There's one of them in the far south and one on the west coast. There you go, Disney. That's it, Disney. And how about this? To refresh the world, to inspire moments of optimism. Oh, that's deep. To create value and make a difference. It's the real thing. Coke. That's what it is, Coke. I know, it kind of fools you. All right, all right. So, okay, so you did pretty good. I think we got three out of four. Now, here's a test. How many of you know the old, current, mission statement of Door Creek could stand up right now and recite it to this audience. Who can do it? Don't feel bad. No one in the first service could do it and no one last night. Now, if I gave you... Oh, okay, Rudy can do it. Good. Yeah, that's our motto, where lives are changing one heart at a time. And it's close to it, but it's, it's really not that. You know, when I was trying to get hired here, I made sure I memorized it, Rudy. And so I think it goes something like this, to glorify God by intentionally making disciples of Jesus Christ who penetrate the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. How come you guys didn't know that? (laughs) No, so if I handed out paper and pencil right now and I said, write down the mission of this church. I don't know what it is exactly, but here's what I think it is. How many different mission statements do you think we'd have here? A lot. Is that a good thing, to have a lot of different mission statements? Not a good thing. It's better for us to be about one thing. You know, having 100 different mission statements would be like leading a whole bunch of cats, shepherding cats instead of cattle. This man right here is my great-grandfather. He's the first cat herder in our family. 
burden cats. Don't let anybody tell you it's easy. Anybody can herd cattle. Holding together 10,000 half-wild short hairs, well, that's another thing altogether. Being a cat herder is probably about the toughest thing I think I've ever done. I got this one this morning right here. And if you look at his face, it's it just ripped to shreds, you know? You see the movies, you, you hear the stories, it's... I'm living a dream. Not everyone can do what we do. I wouldn't do nothing else. <laughs> I love that. All right. Well, we're not going to shepherd cats, and we're not going to have a church that has a hundred different mission statements, but we're going to have one, a clear one. And why is that important? Well, here's what a guy named Aubrey Melfer says. He teaches pastoral ministries down at one of our seminaries in Dallas. And he says this. He says, you know, the reason you need a mission statement is it gives a sense of direction. Yogi Berra, he's got these bearisms, right? They're classic. Here's what Yogi says. If you don't know where you're going, you might end up somewhere else. That's so profound, Yogi. Um, but it gives us direction. That's key. It defines what matters. You'll never do ministry that matters until you define what it is that matters. It keeps the main thing the main thing. It moves us as a church into the future instead of living in the past. It gives us guidelines for making decisions and a basis for evaluation. And if you're thinking, man, this sounds so much like Harvard Business School stuff. What is that doing in the church? This really is not about business principles. The mission of the church has everything to do with our God and his word. And here's what we know from God's word. Remember when we studied the, the books of the Bible, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. Remember we said there's a unity that draws all these 66 books together. And that unity is in God's mission of calling a people into a relationship with himself through his son, all for his glory. God has got a clear mission. The history of humanity and God's working in that history is to push forward that mission. And that mission was all moving towards Christ. And before he left, what did Jesus say? He gave us our marching orders. We call it the great what? Commission. You see that word right inside of it? Mission. It's the great mission. And here it is. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So let's get into this first defining question. What are we about? What are we supposed to be doing here? It's the question of mission. Well, here's what we're about. We're about changing people into devoted followers of Christ who change the world with his love. Say that with me. Changing people into devoted followers of Christ who change the world with his love. Here's the one that will be really easy for you to remember, the short form. Changing lives to change the world. Say that. Changing lives to change the world. This is what we're about By the grace of God. Now, I want to just kind of tear this sentence apart and look at it phrase by phrase. And first of all, changing people. And some of you are saying, how can we change people? I'm a parent. Hello? I can't even get my kids to change their clothes. 
Who do I think that I'm going to have any influence on somebody even outside of my family? Some of us are a little more honest and we're saying, there's stuff in my life that still needs to change and I'm having a hard time bringing change to my life. Who do we think we are that we could change somebody else's life and not just at the external level, but in their heart of hearts? Well, the reason we can say this is because we're joining a God who's in the business of transforming people. What does the scripture say? If anyone is in Christ, if anyone has this new relationship with Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old is past and all things have become new. You think about the stories of grace that we're hearing month after month, changed lives. That's what it's about. God using his word, his spirit, his people as instruments of change. And when we say changing people, we're saying we're joining the God who changes people. And we're understanding fundamentally at the heart of the Great Commission, it's not, hey, sit down and watch me change people's lives. It's not what it says. It says go and make disciples. So we're taking God's word and joining him on his mission. We're changing people. We're not looking for external change. It's not about religious practices that somehow merit God's favor. We're talking about change from the inside out. And we're not just talking about people who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We're talking about all of us here who know and love him too. They were changing people to grow, to love Christ more, and to look more like him wherever we go. That's changing people. What are we changing them into? Into devoted followers. Now, here's what we think about a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. They reach out to those who do not know Christ. They worship God with all their hearts and all of life. They grow in Christ together, and they serve others with Christ's love. Now, some of you are going, hey, I, I remember those words, reach, worship, grow, serve. Sometimes they were called the purposes of the church. What we know fundamentally right now as we've been working as leaders is, is that these four words really describe to us what a devoted follower looks like and acts like. And it becomes the stuff, as you'll hear it in the days going forward, that helps you understand how we produce this devoted follower who is reaching and worshiping and growing and serving. And what we want to say is, as your leaders, a devoted follower of Jesus Christ is not a casual Christian. It's not about being a spectator. A devoted follower has a loyal, faithful, dedicated, constant, committed heart that's growing in his his or her commitment to Christ. And when I think of that word devoted, you know what I think of? I think of Badger fans. I love that about Madison in our city. This place is nuts about the Badgers. I, I had no clue why in the world Sports Illustrated would say best college sports town in America. I didn't know. I just drove through the highway. I didn't get a flavor of it. Now I got a flavor of it. I've been to Camp Randall. I've seen the Sea of Red. I see people swapping out the American flag and putting in on game day the UW flag. I've seen the cars that are newly decorated with new decals and flags flirling and everybody's dressed in red as they're heading down the belt line. I've seen that. I've been there. I love that. I love the Badgers. I'm still working on the Packers. But I love the Badgers. You're devoted fans. We're devoted fans. And what I love is 
the devotion will, will actually show up right here in this room. You know, a lot of times in the football season, when the Badgers have won on Saturday, not a lot of times, but not, not some of the times, all the time with certain members of our church family, they'll come up and they'll be wearing red if we had a big W. You'll see it, right? And now you take devotion to another level and you notice what some people do when you open up the church directory, the new pictorial. Now that's taking devotion to a whole nother level. Scott and Laura, Andrew Boniface. All right, but what I'm talking about when I say devoted, I don't want you to think of a Badger fan. I want that Badger fan to make you think about Jesus because he's the picture of true devotion. Here's what the Bible says about him. In Romans chapter 5, we read this. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, not righteous, not good, while we were still rebels, Christ died for us. That's devotion. My life for yours. And Jesus says, when you come and follow me, I want you to pick up your cross. I want you to die to yourself. I want to give your life away to others. And in doing that, you will live like you've never lived before and receive like you've never received before. Devoted followers. And who are we followers of? Not the Dalai Lama who visited us this week, but of Jesus Christ, God's only son. There are three things that we wanted to get right in this mission statement, we said it's got to be missional. It's got to be about the mission of God, not just describing who we are, but what we're about, changing people, making disciples. We said it's got to be Christ-centered. And here it is right here. Devoted followers of who? Of Christ. This is the title, not Jesus' last name. And it's the messianic title that talks about Jesus is the anointed king, the promised king who rules over all things. And a devoted follower submitting his or her life to Christ in every area of their life. These devoted followers are people who change the world. This is huge. One of the things we said, not only do we want it to be missional and Christ-focused, but we want it to be big and expansive because God's mission is just that. When God made his promise to Abraham, remember? And he said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and through you I'm going to bless all the what? All the families of who? Your families? The Israelite families? All the families of what? The earth. God's mission is a huge mission. When Jesus came, he didn't say to his disciples, go and make disciples of all the people who live in Jerusalem. No, he said, make disciples of what? All nations. Acts 1.8 says we're to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost, that means to the ends of the earth. That's always been God's mission. For God so loved, not the Israelites, but the world. So it's, Devoted followers of Christ who changed the world. And you know what's said? This is such a great verse. Acts chapter 17, verse 6. It said of Jesus' early disciples that these are men that turn the world upside down. May that be said of us. Turning the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Well, what world are we talking about? We're talking about your world, your friends, 
your family members, your neighbors, your work associates, the people that God's allowed to have an intersect in your life. That's the world we want to see changed by God's grace. It's our world, the greater Madison area, and it's God's world, the whole thing. From the Ando tribe in Tibet to the Aleuts in the Arctic. From the Mapuche people in Chile to the Oryx of Siberia. The Zungar tribe of Mongolia to the Makoa of Madagascar. And the Bible makes it clear that God's mission is not impossible. It is going to be accomplished. And John got a vision of it. And here's what he sees at the end of the day gathered around Christ. He says, I look, and there before me was a great multitude. Oh, I love that. It wasn't just a little crowd. Too many to count from this. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, and every people. And they're standing around, and they're worshiping God. And how does that change happen? With his love, with Christ's love. As we live that love out, and as we share that love. When we pick up Ephesians again, we're going to come to chapter 5, and he tells us to walk or to live in love. As children of God who are to imitate our God, who's love, we're to walk in love. How do we bring change to the world? By living the love of Christ and allowing his love to course through us as we do life with people, but so that we also share the loving good news of Jesus Christ, our only hope for salvation, our only true and lasting and satisfying Savior. Changing lives to change the world. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Door Creek Church, this is our mission. We believe with all our hearts, it's just another way of expressing the great commission that Jesus has given us. And before we go on and talk about our commitments and our values, I want to just stop and ask God to help us at this point regarding these things. So join me in prayer. Lord, this isn't a small mission because you're not a small God. And Lord, we would say it's not about our mission. We want to join you in what you're doing. And so be pleased as we join you. And may we be about changing lives to change the world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, let's go to that second question then. Defining question number two. What are we committed to? What what are the enduring values of this place? Now, we don't have time to get into each one of these like we will in the fall when we're going to start a series in the school year and we're going to just take each one of these seven values and teach on it. So we we understand the depth. And I I have to confess, I don't think I I fully grasped all the depth of it. And it's one thing to grasp it. It's another thing to live it. But let me just kind of give you a flyover of these seven values. And, And these commitments really become the driving force. The connection of value to mission is it tells us how we're going to pursue this mission. In fact, if I had to choose between the two, I would take values every day. I'd say, if I only have to get one of these, I'll take my values over my mission statement. Because you'll see the mission flowing right out of the values. And I hope you see the values flowing right out of God's word. 
And so they're the driving force of how we'll carry out our mission. They, they're the DNA that marks every one of us in this place. It's the aroma of this place. It's the heart and soul of who we are. So here's the first value, a life of worship. Worshiping God in all of life. So what we're talking about is in this life of worship, it's, it's not just worshiping God together one hour a week. It's worshiping God throughout the week, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, bending our wills to Him, responding to who He is and what He's done, wherever we are throughout the week. I love how John Piper's put it. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. And it's just saying back to God, you're great, you're enough, and you satisfy the deepest longings in my heart, the greatest needs that I have and the needs of my world, and I have enough in you. It's responding to him, delighting in him, praising him, thanking him. And there's an overflow of that. There's a sense where we get filled up in this place together and we continue to pour out that praise throughout the week. But we realize that a life of worship isn't just worshiping together, as important as that is, and we would desire that it's the highlight of your week. But we understand that it's you throughout the week getting alone with your Bible, letting God talk to you, and you responding back in prayer, singing praises to Him, meditating on His Word, fasting, quiet, listening, a life of worship. A life of worship, fundamentally, we believe, is a life of obedience. Remember what the prophet said to the king, King Saul. Hey, you just sacrificed sheep, but you were supposed to wait for me. Saul, to obey is better than these religious practices. So we can be here this morning and go out and live not according to God's word as we know it, and we're not living a life of worship. A life of worship is obedience throughout our lives. A life of worship understands that whether we eat or drink, we can do all things for the glory of God. What are we committed to? A life of worship, not an hour. Worshiping God with all of our heart in all of life. Here's our second commitment. Our second value is the Bible's authority, centering our lives on God's truth. Here's what the Word says about God's Word, 2 Timothy 3. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God is adequately equipped to do every good work. This is God's word. He's breathed it out. It's a living and active word. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It's the lamp to our feet. It's the light to our path. Jesus says, your word, Father, is truth. And we're going to center our lives on it. And we're going to say, it's God's word that has final say over our lives, over our faith, and over our Christian living. To commit ourselves in these ways means... It means this, that we're going to study it. And we're going to ask God to continue to change our lives by it. It means that our decisions that we make individually and corporately are going to be informed by the Word of God. We're going to look to it for answers. The Bible's authority. Here's the third value, the richness of community. Growing together in Christ. 
And what we're saying here is we really believe that when God brings us into a relationship with himself through Christ, that he places us in relationship with brothers and sisters. There is a community. And we need to be in community. And community becomes this growing place. You're going to grow best as a Christian in relationships with other people. There's a sense where we're community here. But the commitment that we're talking about is smaller communities. Maybe it's a group of men at one of those tables on Thursday morning or, or women at Faith Left or a small group or a ministry team that comes together to get around God's word and encourage each other. We're talking about community. The same stuff that was going on in Jerusalem when they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to prayer, and to breaking of the bread. And they had the favor of God. They had the favor of those watching them do life together as they met from day to day in the temple courts and in their houses, sharing meals, sharing life, sharing their goods so that there wasn't anyone who had any need. It wasn't met by the people of God. The richness of community reminds us that there's a paradox that's taught in the Bible. And this is the paradox. The paradox is unity is not generated by uniformity. It's not created by all of us dressing the same, talking the same. That's a cult. We're not a cult. We believe that our unity prospers under the celebration of the diversity of his body. We have different gifts. We have different backgrounds. We have different passions. We may have different skin colors and ethnicities. We may have different educational backgrounds and socioeconomic differences. But it's in the diversity of this body that we have the beauty of our unity of one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father over all who's in all and through all and works for all of us. The richness of community allows you to to love, to know that you're needed in somebody else's life and that you can receive love, to care and to be cared for, to pray, to be prayed for, to encourage someone and to find encouragement coming back to you. The richness of community gives us a sense of belonging, of family. You know, the fact is we've got hundreds of people right here and you could be part of this church for a long time and you could feel like, I don't know anybody in this place. I feel all alone. I don't feel connected at all. The richness of community is a commitment that you know the richness of being part of something that's bigger than you and that you know the richness of of bringing that into somebody else's life. In a world that's fractured, in a world where families are split up and spread out, in a world where we're often isolated, that you would know the richness of belonging to God's family. And the cool thing is the Bible says the richness then that we experience becomes a richness that starts to flow out of our lives and it affects other people and starts pointing them to Jesus and it gives them a taste and a hunger for something more. The fourth one. Joyful witness, sharing and living the good news. 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul says this of his friends in Thessalonica. We loved you so much. We are delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well because you've become so dear to us. We shared the gospel. We shared our own life. A joyful witness, shining for Christ, letting our good works shine before men in such a way that they might see our good works and glorify God who's in heaven. 
A joyful witness means that the joy of God is in our hearts. It's written on our face. It's not plastic. It's not pretend. There's something new in us. It's the spirit of Christ flowing out in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness and self-control. A joyful witness gladly proclaims the truth and has great confidence as people come into the hearing of God's word. God does something. This is the power of God for salvation, the gospel is, for everyone who believes. And so we gladly proclaim it and we're going to train you so you better understand the gospel and how to share it and how to live it. And I want to say to anybody here who's on a, on a spiritual journey where you say, I got a lot of questions. I, I'm not there yet. I've got some doubts about this whole thing that you would know that we would always with joy, with integrity, with humility engage the honest questions and doubts of those who are looking for answers on their journey to help you engage your friends on that path to make this time that we meet together always sensitive to those who are here that they're searching and looking being drawn by a loving God. Our fifth value, compassionate service. Humbly extending his compassion to those in need. The key passage for us in this value was Micah 6.8. And here's what Micah says. He has shown you, oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. And this commitment says we are committed to bringing God's justice to those who aren't getting any. We are committed to bringing God's mercy to those who are desperately looking for it. And when we do, we're going to do it in humility, understanding that by the grace of God, but for the grace of God, we might be in their very situation. And the fact is that even if we're not in their situation, there is stuff in our life, every day of our life, where we desperately need his mercy too. But it's a commitment to say, you know what? We're not just going to celebrate the gifts of our body and build each other to be strong so that we can be this kind of muscle club for Jesus. No, we're going to get our hands dirty to be his hands and feet to those in our community that we might never rub shoulders with unless we go. It's a commitment to do that compassionate service, humbly extending his compassion to those in need. Sixth, intentional training. This this ought to get you excited because this has you written all over it, preparing and releasing God's people for ministry. Remember about three weeks ago, we were in in Ephesians 4, and we said the role of of a leader is to prepare, to equip. Remember, it's the setting of the bones, to get them to mend well so that that joint, that leg now, that bone is now useful for service. Preparing God's people to serve is the role of the leader. And we're going to take that very seriously. This is a commitment that we have with a conviction that here's the deal, that anything that God would be calling us to as a people of God, he's giving us the resources in the people of God, through the people of God, to get it done. Okay? Which means... There's things that he's going to put on your heart. There are gifts that you have. There are passions you have and burdens that you have that are going to be uniquely used in this place and through this place to move the mission forward. And we're committed 
to preparing you to serve the living God with great effect. To serve the Lord of God, uh, the living God with the love of Christ. To serve in his strength, not your own. For his glory, not yours. And we promise in this commitment here to release God's people. Not make it harder to serve. Make it easier. So this place is known and mobilizes the people who are moving out with their gifts and their time and their talents and their treasure for Christ. It's a commitment to train you moms and dads. Dads to be a spiritual leader in your home. The two of you to raise your kids or maybe you're on your own. To raise your kids to love Jesus with all of their hearts. It's a commitment to the young and the old to grow in their walk with Christ. Intentional training. And then the last one, persistent prayer. Devoting ourselves to pray continually. This commitment is, is, is found on the profound um, truth that apart from Christ, we can do nothing. This, we didn't save uh, the least for last, okay? This is that, that everything that we're talking about, a life of worship, compassionate service, Bible's authority, joyful way, all those things. If we're not people of prayer, devoted to prayer, we'll be like unplugged Christians to the power of God as we continue to say to him, Lord, without you, I can't do this. We can't do this. We need your wisdom. We need your strength. We need your mercy. We need your forgiveness. We want to live connected to you in all of life. Persistent prayer. Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray without ceasing. So, Door Creek, this is our mission. Changing lives to change the world. These are our seven values. The DNA, the heart and soul of who we are. And the question then this morning is, well, so what's my part in it? Seems like the leader's got it okay and I'm all right with it. So, so what? What for me? Well, it's everything. The leader's question to you is, will you join this mission? Because we can't do it without you. You, you say, well, you're just kind of preaching when you say that. No, I'm, I'm serious. The stuff that God's calling us to, it requires all of us. We can't do it without you. Will you join this mission? And will you commit yourself to these values? How, how can the smell of this place, the aroma of this place, how can it be our heart and soul if it's not the smell and the heartbeat of your life? Will you commit yourself to these values? You're going to leave this morning, and on the tables, there's going to be a little bookmark. And that bookmark has on it the, um, the mission statement, the long and the short, and has our values. And then on the bottom of it, it has a place to sign it. And this isn't for me, and it's not for the leadership, but we want you to take it home, and we want you to sign it, if you're able to do that commit yourself to it. And, and what I'm hoping is that some of you today would just get off the curb. You're watching a parade. You're missing out. You're up in the stands and God's calling you to be a player, to get in the game. I, I would just ask that you would pray about taking a risk and, and say, you know what? I, I really do believe that God's mission is huge. It's expansive and I'm a part of it and I want in.
And as you risk that, moving out of your comfort zone, that you would receive the joy, the exhilarating joy of being part of changing someone's life into a devoted follower of Christ who now is positioned to change the world with his love, the love of Christ. And your life will never be the same. So let me pray. Lord, these are words on a piece of paper that we think are radically connected to your words. And now we're praying that they would be connected to our minds and to our hearts, to our wills, to our hands and our feet. We pray, Lord, that you would help us be a people who are about changing lives to change the world for your glory, not our own, that your name in this place, in this city, in this world would grow in its renown. We pray it in Christ's name, amen.